We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here, as always, with Jason Pat. Bulls are on a four-game winning streak, knocking off the Indiana Pacers and the Atlanta Hawks on Sunday and Monday in a back-to-back. The Bulls are now 21-10 and with a top-five offense. They finally got there, Jason. Yeah. We hope all offseason the Bulls could be a top-five offense. After a slow start, they're there, currently still number 10 in defense, and they are 11 games over 500 for the first time since Tom Thibodeau was the coach. We have a lot to talk about, but b- before we do, Jason, how was your Christmas? Did you get any, oh. like, a snowblower since you're a homeowner now, like a lawnmower? Uh, no snowblower. Uh, did get... I got a lawnmower a while ago when I first moved into this house, but uh, nothing really like, I mean, my wife got some like gardening stuff for a garden. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, I did get the, uh, I, I got the Giannis book from Mirren Fader. I can't wait to read that. So that'll be very exciting. Uh, I've been wanting that book. So that'll be cool. I also did just order myself one of our former prod- podcast guests, Chris Herring, his next book. So I got that on pre-order. I'm excited to read that one as well. We had, that was a, go, if you haven't, go check out that podcast with Chris. That was a lot of fun. I uh, did get some bull shorts, kind of uh, kind of fun. But uh, uh, besides that, it was a, it was a nice Christmas. Uh, just hung out, obviously, with all this Corona stuff still going on. Want to be careful about that. But uh, had some just nice chill nights with the family. Uh on stuff like that. First Christmas in the new house. So it was all good. How about you? Great to hear. Yeah. Everything was good for me. Everyone's staying healthy in my family. That's the most important thing. I hope every all the listeners are uh, staying healthy and safe because, man, this stuff just gets worse and worse. And it's been pretty tough to follow the news, keep up with friends. Seems like all my friends got it. But uh, we're going to talk about something happier, Jason. And I guess we should start with the return of Zach Levine. Yeah, Zach Levine made his first game back against the Indiana Pacers, took over in the fourth quarter, finishes with 32 points, five assists, four rebounds, 12 of 18 shooting from the field. 
five of nine shooting from three. And then Levine, the next night against the Hawks, 30 points, five of eight shooting from three, added nine assists, four rebounds, only two turnovers. Zach just looked absolutely phenomenal in both of these games, Jason. I watched the Hawks game live. I caught up on the Pacers game this morning. Uh, The injured thumb on his left hand, which did seem to be affecting him earlier in the season, sure seems to be cleared up now. Like maybe that was sort of a hidden benefit of him going into protocol, actually gave him a little bit of time to get healthy. And Zach has had a really good season from the start, if you look at his numbers, but it still felt like he could give the Bulls a little bit more. I think these last two games, we've seen the peak version of Levine uh, had an absolutely awesome dunk against the Pacers where he just blew by the first line of defense, finished off one foot, just like the sort of play that only a handful of guys in the NBA can make, right? Blowing by the initial line of defense without a screen, uh, being a one-footed leaper, being athletic enough to finish above the rim with the dunk. We've seen the full mid-range game, and Zach has taken more mid-range shots than ever this year. I think he's picking up a few of DeMar's tricks. He's got better spacing around him for the first time this year. And in general, Levine looks awesome, dude. And, uh, you know, DeRozan has been sort of the guy who's been playing at an all-NBA level since the season started. If the Bulls are getting Zach to be the peak version of Zach, or maybe even the best version of Zach we've seen yet, what is Levine, like 27 years old? He's still still very young, still in his prime. Uh, he's looked terrific these last two games, and I can't wait to see where he takes it from here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you mentioned the thumb thing. I think that's a great point. It seems like he's fully past that. And if you just look at his season numbers now, like he's almost up to where he was last season. He's a, he's a point per game less at 26.4. Not surprising since DeMar is here, but you look at the efficiency now, he's almost up to 50% shooting overall. He was at just under 51% last year. So he's about, he's getting up there. His three point percentage is now up over 40%. He's at 40.6 on 7.6 attempts per game. Last year, he was at 41.9 at 8.2. So he's right there, like flirting his three, his free throw percentage is about 84, but I mean, basically at 50, 41, 84 with his shooting splits right now at 26 points per game, rebounds, assists right around the same thing. So, I mean, right now, and his turnovers are down compared to last season. So like right now, if you look at some of the other advanced stats, I'm just looking here at basketball reference, like his win shares per 48 is like offensive box plus minus is, is better than last season. So like, if you look at, if you just look at his win shares for 40 and obviously some of these advanced stats, uh, all in one metrics, whatever, whatever you want to think of them, like he has gotten better in that set every single season with the bulls. Uh, so he's arguably getting back to a, getting to a point now again, where he is possibly even better than last season. His true shootings at 61% only a couple percentage points down from last season. 61% on 30 usage is amazing. Tomorrow is like right at 60% there. So like having two high volume, basically like 30% usage dudes who have true shootings at like 60 or higher is absolutely incredible. And that's how, why the Bulls offense is now up to whatever fifth in the NBA. Obviously there are other reasons as well. Vucevic is looking better and we'll talk about him in a bit, but yeah, having Zach now seemingly past this thumb injury, looking like himself with this high level efficiency, splashing threes from all over, hitting tough mid-range shots. I mean, just some of the shots in the Hawks game and everybody, but like the Pacers game, some of the shots he was hitting just like uh, to close, help close that game out were amazing. And then the Hawks game, him, DeRozan, I mean, even the guys on the Hawks at like Cam Reddish, incredible shot making all night. So if you, yeah, if you have Zach and Tamar playing like this, you get Vucevic coming around. They don't even have Lonzo and Caruso these last couple games because of protocols, because of injury. Like we're starting to see just like how good this 
Bulls team can be when they got these two guys playing at a high level and they're getting contributions from Booch sliding in as a third, as a solid third option as well. Once you get Caruso and Lonzo back for the defensive stuff, like that's a team that can be a monster on both ends of the floor and be the contender that we've kind of talked about them being. And again, they're 21 and 10. Uh, the, the Nets are still winning games even without guys. And now they're about to get KD and then also Kyrie back. The Nets are looking like a juggernaut. The Bucks, we know when they're healthy, they're a juggernaut. But the Bulls are right there as maybe in that next tier with the Miami, uh, with the Cavs, who have been absolutely incredible, and some of these other teams. Uh, they are right there. Uh, and I think they still even possibly have another level to go uh, once they get all these other guys back as well. And it's just been really fun to watch these guys. And it was awesome to see Zach back and just not missing a beat and playing as good as ever. Yeah. Just having two shot creators on the perimeter like that is such a luxury for the Bulls. And it's, you know, the the foundation of why they're such a good team this year. I swear, Jason, when we started this podcast, we talked so much about needing to get another primary ball handler next to Levine, another like oversized playmaker. And I always said if they still had Butler with (laughs) Zach, that would be an awesome parent. But DeMar has really done a lot of, you know, what someone like Jimmy Butler could provide. He gets to the line at will. Great in the mid-range game. He's not quite the defensive player, but he's a better scorer than really Butler's ever proven to be. And, you know, there was all this talk about, you know, the fit. Can Zach and DeMar coexist when uh, the team was first put together? I think what you've seen is these guys both have so much respect for each other. I don't think DeMar comes here without Zach. Very similar to the CP3 and Devin Booker situation last year, right? Uh, CP3 had a lot of respect for Booker. Mark and Will were talking about this on their episode today, which was a great episode. Make sure you're checking out the Bulls HQ podcast as well. But uh, Levine had a great quote, and Zach had a really good quote too, but uh, after after these recent wins, Levine said, we've been doing it all year. He's been incredible in the fourth quarter, speaking of De- DeMar. So it's been easy for me to be like, get him the ball, and I'll get out of the way, because to this point, I haven't won like this, and this has been the best feeling I've had in my career is winning, so it's been real easy for me. And while DeMar has been like the fourth quarter takeover scorer and DeMar's really been like the guy at the controls having the second option, like Zach Levine, when the initial action breaks down, is just such a luxury because the thing that has jumped out to me about Zach, these last two games is just like, while he still may not be the best decision maker every single time down the floor, and that could rear its head a little bit in the playoffs at the end of the day, dude, when Levine is on an Island in single coverage, how many guys in the league can really defend it? I mean, he's so fast. He's going to blow by anyone. He's a threat to shoot from three. So you have to go over every screen. He's still one of the most athletic guys in the league. He remains a one footed jumper. So when he's exploding towards the basket, he can rise and finish with a dunk so easily. And now he's got the mid range game that feels like it's, you know, more pronounced than ever before. So Levine's scoring package is just absolutely incredible. He essentially has no holes in his scoring package, in my opinion. And you even saw him hit some ridiculous turnaround fadeaways in that Pacers game in the fourth quarter. It's like, how do you stop this guy? They're throwing, got you know, seven wings with seven foot wingspans against him, and it's not bothering him whatsoever. The so. shot he, the shot he hit at the end of the half against the Hawks, where he just like he knew he where he wanted to go. He wanted to dribble to the corner, and he just like and he cashed a fadeaway. Like it was a long two. I think his foot was on the line. I think he was trying to get to the three point line, but long two. I think over Cam Reddish and just like splash, ridiculous shot. Not many dudes are hitting that shot. 
Uh, and he can hit that shot on a semi-consistent basis. And DeMar, we've seen DeMar. And I'm going to talk about DeMar a little more in a bit here. But just both those guys' ability to just hit those kinds of shots is ridiculous. And it's that's going to be a huge factor in the playoffs. And again, we bring you brought up the Suns. Like Booker and Paul being being able to get to their spots and just cashing jumpers like that against set defense in the playoffs when things may get stagnant, things break down. Having those dude dudes who can just fucking mail those shots like that over and over is going to be huge for them. So after the Celtics lost to the Timberwolves last night, the Celtics have been pretty disappointing. I think Tatum was out. They had a bunch of guys out. Yeah, but uh, both teams had. I mean, the Timberwolves. Yeah, the Timberwolves had no like no starters playing. I've just seen some discussion online that like, you know, it's tough to be a winning team when your two best players are wings. Now the bulls won six championships when their <laughs> two best players were wings and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. But historically, typically it's like you're built around a garden, a big, and now there's all this discussion, like should the Celtics break up Tatum and Brown? I saw our buddy, Kevin, who runs the Dennis Podman podcast. Make sure you're checking that out. He said like, well, the Clippers haven't won a championship yet and they have better wings than Tatum and Brown. They have Kawhi and Paul George. Of course, they only really got one crack at it because Kawhi got hurt last year yeah. in the playoffs. But how do you feel about a team led by DeRozan and Zach deep in the playoffs? And then I guess the other thing that stands out to me is like, what kind of show this is like the hard part is finding the two stars. Right. And Karnaschovas inherited a star in Levine. He found a star in DeMar who everyone thought that was a total joke when he gave DeMar $27 million a year. I tweeted it. DeMar's the 42nd highest paid player in the league this year. It's one of the most team friendly contracts in the league. DeMar should be getting more money. If anything, he's way underpaid right now. <laughs> I mean, the yeah, his performance right now is definitely worthy of like forty million. Like, like a lot of a lot of talk about like Russell Westbrook and all the stuff with the Lakers. Like Russ is making what forty five million. Like that's the kind of value like Demar is providing right now is a contract like that. Obviously, if someone if the Bulls would have given him forty some million, like that would have been absolutely nuts. But like he's providing that kind of kind of value right now for them. Anyway, absolutely, yeah. Demar's way underpaid. But I think part of the reason the Bulls are so good is because of how they have insulated the two stars, right? And Lonzo is a big part of that. I think someone like, you know, Marcus Smart, his comparison could be like Caruso, but like yeah. the Lakers don't have anyone like Lonzo. Lonzo is such a unique player. Unless your last name's Ball, there's not really another player like Lonzo. Maybe Tyrese Halliburton off the top of my head. Maybe Josh Giddy will get there someday, but just such a good connective piece. Brilliant passer, sees the game two steps ahead of everyone else, has become such a good outside sh- shooter. Now you've added a couple legit defensive players who no one expected to be making an impact this year and Javante Green and Io DeSumo. When you think about why the Bulls are a top 10 defense this year, which no one expected coming into the year, I would look at the minutes in production Javante and Io are giving them when it's the beginning of the season, they weren't really factored into, uh, you know, the Bulls defensive mix. So to me, the Bulls are a really complete team. I mean, DeRozan and DeRozan should probably be an all-star starter, right? Yes. Levine, if he's not a starter, he should be coming off the bench. It's not going to be like last year where it's like, oh, hopefully Zach gets in. Zach's oh no, the he's, last all-star in, and you know you heard locks. say locks. You heard people say, oh, Levine's the worst all-star. You're one, yep. you're one of the worst all-stars in the East. Well, Jam- Jamal McGlure made the all-star <laughs> team. So what does it really mean? Well. No, they're locks. Levine, Levine is absolutely sick. DeRozan just continues to be so incredible. Then you got 
Caruso and Lonzo, who they weren't out, they, they've been out, obviously, with injury and with COVID protocol. But those guys are such elite defensive players. And then I just love that, like, while we heard Karnash- what we heard about Karnashovas coming into this, his like tenure here, is that he really valued ball handling and passing and shooting, right? But it seems like what he really values is like high energy, active, long defenders and being able to get a guy like Io, who we should talk about more because Io was incredible in the Hawks game, very good in the Pacers game too. He really changed the complexion of the Hawks game when he switched on to Trey Young. And Javante, it's like the Bulls have waves of long active defenders. We're not even factoring in Patrick Williams who has been injured and will be injured for most of the season around these two great half court perimeter scores. This is a totally legit team, Jason. Uh, it's all going to come down to the matchups in the playoffs. But yeah. I mean, you know, obviously running through the schedule at the beginning of the year. I said 45 wins. We went through every single yeah. game. You I had 50. And now they're on, they're on pace for 55, 56. You're taking the words out of my mouth, dude. I'm just going to say that's what they're on pace for. And it's not a fluke. It looks absolutely legit. It looks sustainable. And this season has just been such a joy, man. Like, I don't know what next year is going to look like. I don't know if DeMar is going to be this good again. Maybe it will be. Maybe it'll be 90% of this good. But this year, everything's fallen into place. The way they're exceeding expectations has made them such a joy to watch. I just love this team, man. That, yeah, that, that's they're a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, you talk about the playoffs. Some of it is just like, I don't know. Like you talk about like, can they win with like Zach and tomorrow? Like they could obviously be really good. Part of the issue is obviously if you run into a team that has Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving. I mean, like that's just a uh, historically talented trio. If they're all playing, it, you can't blame the bulls. If they, if they play the nets in a series and they lose to them. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's fine. I think they could battle them and the bulls have beaten the nets twice, but that obviously no Kyrie. Uh, if all those three guys are playing and healthy, the bulls, I wouldn't expect the bulls to win. And like, that'd be fine. If they competed hard and lost, like that'd be a great playoff run. Similar to the bucks. I mean, Giannis is arguably the best player in the world. Middleton's really good. Drew holiday is really good. Like that. And that's a ridiculously good team. Like, you could say the Bulls could compete with them. I wouldn't expect them to win. I guess any other team, I, I, I the Heat, I think are if they've proven to be pretty tough. They're just so well coached. They're so balanced as well. We've seen them win games, all these games, like without Jimmy and Bam because of the shooting and depth that they have. So like that is that would be a really interesting series. Any other team, I think in the East, I I would say right now the Bulls should beat them in a playoff series. The Heat. I feel like our, it would be a toss-up. I would not expect them to beat the Nets or the Bucks in a playoff series. But maybe I mean, at this at this point, you hope for some breaks. You never know how health is gonna health is gonna go. See what you can do with the deadline. It's like I would say the Bulls are pretty complete, but we know that they're still they could use a bit more size. They could probably use another shooter or just have Kobe White actually start making shots. You know, we'll talk about Kobe and Io in a little bit here, but. Uh, the Bulls right now look like a team that is absolutely legit, can absolutely compete and win one, maybe two playoff series, maybe even go further if things break right. Like I said, there's that I think still think the Nets and Bucks are probably the class of the East, but Bulls are right there in that next tier. Well, so. well let's not forget, Jason, when the Bulls, who are 2-0 and against the Nets this year, when they absolutely smoked them in the fourth quarter, their first win, I think they outscored them like 40 to 10 or something in the fourth quarter. That number is not exact, but it was something. Yeah, that was something. Steve Nash, after the game, said, we're not an elite team like the Bulls. <laughs> so 
I'll take my chances against the Nets. Hopefully the Nets can knock out the Bucks, and I'll take my chances against the Nets. I want no part of Giannis. I think Giannis would rampage through the Bulls, most likely if the Bulls are trying to guard him with Lonzo and Javante. Like, yeah. That seems like it would be a tough matchup for the Bulls. I'll take my chances with the Nets. Anyways, let's flip this discussion a little bit. I want to talk about Vooch, our boy yeah. Mark. I think Mark is sort of, uh, he's reaching Steph's status here where we're giving him multiple shout outs every podcast. <laughs> Mark had a good tweet uh, during the game last night. It said, Vooch's last four games, 19.3 points, 12.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists in 33 minutes with 50% shooting from the field, 44% shooting from three-point range, and 67% shooting from the foul line. Last night, Vooch's line, 16 points, 15 rebounds, three assists, two blocks, two steals. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That was against no. the Pacers. Yeah, no. Last was night against- was historic. Last night was historic, yeah. So Vooch was the first person in NBA history to put up this stat line. The, what I just read off was against the Pacers on Sunday. Monday night against the Hawks, Vooch with a historic stat line, 24 points, 17 rebounds, six assists, four blocks, four of eight shooting from three. Yeah, one of them he banked in, and he admitted after the <laughs> game clutch. they didn't call glass. You knew he didn't call glass. <laughs> and I saw some people trying to give him credit for that shot. I'm like, no, he's been good in this game, but don't give him credit that for that. That was a prayer. <laughs> Meanwhile, even before he started getting hot from deep, I thought Vooch was having a very good game, even before his shot was falling because he was passing the ball well. And defensively, while he doesn't really fit the traditional description of a rim protector, because Vooch can't really jump, he's not super long, but he is relatively mobile. He's very good at positioning himself. And I thought he did a terrific job yesterday helping slow down Trey Young by just getting in the way and positioning himself to cut off the lane on drops. Uh, Trey Young, to start the game yesterday, I guess I'm, I'm hitting you with multiple subjects here, Jason, but Trey Young either scored or assisted on 20 of the Hawks' first 25 points to the game. Blood that man. was with Kobe White on him. Yeah. And he was torching Kobe. Everyone knew that the Bulls would have to change that matchup. I tweeted, the Bulls have to put Io on Trey. Otherwise, Trey's going to have 50 and 20 this game. <laughs> it really felt like he could have. Yeah. After that, the Bulls really limited Trey. And, you know, credit Io, credit Javante. Javante well, guarded him in the second half a lot. He, he had a lot of looks on him in the second half. But I think Vooch deserves some credit, too. Vooch is really yeah. good at mucking things up, getting in the way. I feel like he's usually in drop, but they do play him at the level of the screen pretty often, too. He has active hands. He can mix it up a little bit. So loving what we're seeing from Vooch lately. Four straight good games in a row. And Jace, we haven't really seen too many games this year where DeMar, Zach, and Vooch are all cooking. And the Bulls are still 11 games over 500, a game out of first place in the East. And maybe now Vooch is starting to regress to the mean in a positive way a little bit, and his offense can start kicking up. So what have you been uh, What have you been seeing from the big man in the middle lately? Yeah, I mean, going back to the Pacers game, thought he outplayed Sabonis. Uh, Sabonis did put up numbers. He always puts up numbers, but he shot like five or six of 17. Thought Vooch did a decent job down there challenging him. Uh, and then I, you mentioned, I think it was, Vooch had, what, like 16 and 15 in like two or three I think I believe that was the Pacers game in that fourth quarter when the Pacers Karis Le- Pacers were starting to make a little comeback. The Bulls controlled most of that game. Vooch had a few, I believe that was the, this was the Pacers game where Vooch found Javante Green for a, several nice cuts to the basket finishes just from the middle of the court. We saw the value of his passing, and then we saw him hit the big shots from three against the Hawks yesterday as the Hawks were making their surge. 
So just kind of seeing the, the versatility of Vooch, I feel like you, did you tweet something about Vooch yesterday about like the, the dudes that can basically do what he does are like Cat, Embiid, Jokic, and then like, and then it's like Vooch and like just the, the whole package of offense from inside, outside, the passing wise, uh, he's not that many dudes in the NBA can do that, which is why he was still like providing some value, even when his shooting was down at 40% and like his, he wasn't knocking out shots. Obviously it was very frustrating to see him miss all those easy looks and those bunnies. And, uh, that was a problem. But now when he's putting up games, like he has the last few nights, uh, that's just changes the whole complexion. And like, that's settling in hopefully as the, as that legit number three option, we don't need him putting up huge games every night, but if he's putting up 15 to 20 points a game, uh, grabbing 10 to 15 rebounds, four or five assists per night, playing that stellar defense, that's exactly what you need from your third option shooting around 50% from the field. And maybe if he's league average from three, exactly what you're looking for huge makes a huge difference. And again, that's another reason why along with DeMar and Zach going off the bulls offense has been just absolutely incredible. I mean, they've been putting up some huge scoring numbers lately in these games because uh, they got all these guys kind of starting to find a rhythm together. And that's, and that is absolutely huge. Uh, so it has been really nice to see Vooch more comfortable. Uh, I thought his answer yesterday when he was asked about this historic set line was funny. And he's like, Oh, like he just kind of really downplayed it. You could find arbitrary stat lines and like historic stat lines for basically anything. And he was just like, yeah, like that's okay. Great. Great. Like as long as he, he obviously only caring about like the team winning, he's looked a lot better. Absolutely huge. And uh, it's helping the bulls win games and be 21 and 10. So it's been awesome to see him kind of bounce back here. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to say that like the people who are criticizing him, were wrong when he was shooting. I, I mean, he was missing a lot of easy it, shots. It was and hard it, to watch, man. Yeah. He was just bricking everything within four feet yeah. of the basket. I hope that that is over. I'm not going to say confidently that Vooch is no longer uh, going to be like a, whatever he was, like a 41% shooter yeah. in four feet. I, I don't have his bad games here and there for sure, but just more, need more consistency because there was a point like coming up to these last couple of games where he couldn't put together like two good games in a row. Like he'd have more than two. He'd have like a good game or a good game or two. And then like the next two or three would be just absolutely awful shooting wise, at least again, doing other stuff pretty well, but the shooting wise just hasn't been able to put it together uh, a bunch of good games in a row. And now we're starting to see that. And hopefully that consistency that's been there in previous years in his career, when he's been an all-star will stick around, especially with all the pressure of Zach, with Zach and Demar out there cooking, like that leaves Vooch, I mean, the two-man game that he plays, and he's the outlet valve. Like the, He gives him a lot of opportunities to get good looks. So he's just got to cash him, uh, and hopefully he keeps doing it. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, let's talk about Io and Kobe a little let's. bit. Let's. So when the Bulls drafted Io, I've been following Io since he was probably a sophomore in high school in the city. He was the best player in the city as a senior. Uh, he committed to Illinois, which was really meaningful because the history of Illinois basketball is they lose out on all the top players yeah. in Chicago. Spends three years in Illinois. I talked to him and his father for a feature you can find at SBNation.com right before the NCAA tournament. And of course, Io, despite having a wonderful junior season in Illinois, just could not solve the genius of Cameron Crutwig in Loyola <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. Jason, who is an Illinois fan, I can Brutal. see the pain in his face as I, as I repeat this. And the Bulls drafted Io, and I said, this pick reminds me of Garpax. They drafted a low-ceiling guy who... You know, he should, I thought he was he could provide good production for the 37th or 38th pick or whatever he was, but I thought they needed to take a shot on some upside. And I thought that, like, I would always rather miss on the upside than take, you know, the decent player who, at the end of the day, might not amount to anything more than the 7th or 8th man. Well, people have been throwing this in my face throughout the season. And I just want to say to all those people, thank you, because <laughs> you, actually, you obviously care enough about what I say to remember <laughs> Throw that shit in my face. Give me the big L. I deserve it. I'll wear that L because I could not have been more wrong. Sharif Cooper has had a couple of good G League games, but I mean, come on. Sharif Cooper couldn't do anything on this team. He couldn't get minutes on this team. And Isle has been such an invaluable player to the rotation. I could not think more highly of Io and what Io brings to the table. I tweeted out a few clips of what he was doing against the Pacers. Io is just getting really good at adjusting his angles when he's driving to the basket. You know, at the beginning of the year, he was getting his shit swatted pretty much all the time when he was going into the lane. That's not the case anymore. He's finding like little nuances and little ways to be able to score at the rim. His floater is really good. He hit one against the Pacers that I tweeted out. He's in the 75th percentile in the league. I think he's only taken like 12 on the season, but his floater has been really good. Uh, So that's promising defensively his size on the perimeter is just such a game changer. I feel like perimeter size is maybe one of those market inefficiencies, Jace. Like I've always been a huge fan of big guards. I never want tiny guards, even though I love Sharif Cooper. So clearly I'm, (laughs) but I love having big guards. Anyone who paid attention to my Western Illinois dynasty knows this. I only recruited tall guards and I was having a six, 10 and a half wingspan with six foot five height on the perimeter is just huge, and it's been awesome to watch him go to work defensively. And the Bulls have a bunch of guys like that. I mean, Lonzo's six 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 five, yeah. and Caruso's six five. So, like, they have a bunch of guys like that. Yeah, it's clearly something Karnaschovas values. Another fan of the big guards, and uh, I just love Io, man. Like, he's just been so good. He changed the complexion of that game yesterday when he switched on to Trey Young. If Kobe was working on Trey Young the whole game, Trey Young would have had video game type of numbers but then credit kobe for coming back in the second half and putting together a pretty nice little game he got hot in the third quarter he ends up finishing the night kobe does with 13 points four boards two steals hits three threes uh rob Schaefer, dagger yeah he had a, he had a dagger too rob Schaefer did a good story with kobe at a sit down with him kobe gave some uh some really honest quotes to rob i thought about you know uh everything he's gone through this season the shoulder injury at the beginning of the year transitioning to a new team that was already really good by the time he finally came back catching covid uh you know going from someone who was playing on the ball to someone who's now playing almost exclusively off the ball 
Uh, it was a really good story by Rob, so check that out. But Kobe, I still think the Bulls need him. They need the peak <laughs> version of Kobe. And in that article, Kobe was like, the Bulls have never tried to just make me a catch-and-shoot guy. Like They want me to be me. Well, I want Kobe to be a catch-and-shoot guy because that's what he's really good <laughs> yeah. at. That's what he's shown to be really good at. In my This Week in the Bulls column, which I'm writing every Friday at Bloggable, I don't know if I'm doing this Friday because it's New Year's Eve. New Year's, yeah. In column every Friday at Bloggable. And uh, Kobe has he's in the top 10 of most three pointers in league history through age 21. And he's still climbing because he's not 22 yet. So, you know, part of that is because of the era, right? Like guys shoot yeah. three, but it's still pretty impressive. The Kobe white is in the top 10 of most three pointers through age 21. Uh, to me, his shot still looks off. Obviously his percentages have been dog shit yeah. all year, but he maybe is starting to come back and he's finding ways to attack closeouts better lately, which is encouraging. I still want to believe in Kobe. They really so need bench score. The Bulls are 29th in the league, Jason, in bench points per game. In bench scoring, they need a scorer in this bench unit as much as I love the defense and the energy. You do need one more guy who can get buckets on the bench. I think Kobe's a nice fit for that. Obviously, Karnaschovas agrees because he kept him uh, He kept him when he flipped everyone else in the roster besides for Zach and Kobe. So really nice to see Kobe. Uh, have a pretty nice game against the Hawks, especially in the second half after a rough start. And I thought he had a pretty decent game against the Pacers too. He had one play in the Pacers game where he did like the Steve Nash or Kirk Heinrich used to do it all the time too. <laughs> yes. Where he'd, like, circle around the baseline and yeah. then attack and he scored on that. So over miles Turner, I thought he was gonna get that shit packed right back in his face. So yeah, Io and Kobe, Io looks great. I love everything about Io. Kobe getting a little better. Good to see I've been saying it since Kobe came back. Bulls don't need him now. Just have Kobe peaking at, you know, the playoff time after the all-star break. That's when they need Kobe playing his best ball. And, uh, you know, really liked what I saw from both those guys these last two games. Yeah, so I tweeted yesterday in the first half when after Kobe got roasted by Trey Young uh, and he was really struggling. He was off on that first half. He got roasted by Trey Young. He couldn't hit a shot either. Uh, Io came in, had, had that block of Trey Young had a few really nice finishes. So I tweeted like, so like I was just better than Kobe now. Like, right. And I get, they got a lot, a lot of engagement on Twitter. Some people calling me an idiot, calling me crazy. A lot of other people agreeing, obviously a very kind of divisive topic. I have people asking like, Oh, why do you have to compare the two? Well, it's because they're both playing. Uh, they're bringing battling for minutes come playoff time. But uh, I, I did, I took, I went back this morning and kind of, went back to, or kind of clarified what I was trying to get at. And that's right now, like IO just seems, I feel like you said this before that IO, we just like have a baseline, like set of like our baseline kind of competency performance from IO that we kind of expect from every game from him, but he, you know, he's going to come in, play hard defensively, could give you some offense. He kind of, he, he, he's fearless. We kind of know what we're going to get from him. And Kobe is just such a roller coaster. Right? I tweeted the roller coaster gift for him yesterday too. He's just such a roller coaster all over the place. You see, he has moments like in that second half where he gets hot from three and he's super fun and like he seems like he's awesome. Uh, but then he has his, the moments like the first half and he and you look at his shooting percentages and he's shooting 27% from three and like 37% from the field. Uh, so we're like right now, like I think I it's I don't like I don't want to say I, and I, it sounds like sometimes I'm like super down on Kobe. I've, I can be harsh on him on Twitter during games because like when he's bad, like he's just like very noticeably bad. Is he just he gets wrecked on defense when he's missing open threes? Like, because he just doesn't 
often provide that much else. Like he's not a great playmaker. Again, he's not like a playmaker defensively either. Uh, so when he's missing threes, it can just be really rough for him. So it's like, it, it is just kind of a tough spot. You talk about like, you don't need Kobe now necessarily. And that is true. That's why I, that's, I need to like pump the brakes sometimes on the harshness. Like, but it is still kind of a tough spot just because like there is a, there is going to come a point where they're going to need Kobe to either like to either start getting better or do they look to trade him? Or if he is still here after the traded line that he's going to have, he's going to have to play or he's going to start, have to start hitting shots. Otherwise, like he just won't play and then IO should play over him because even though IO's three point shooting, which is still, I think, around 40%, he missed a couple over ones yesterday. IO's a bit uh, sketchy as a three point shooter. He just does so many other things better than Kobe right now, where it's like he's earned those minutes. And like if they trim the rotation down come playoff time or down the stretch of the season, like it's a situation where I'd probably rather have IO out there unless Kobe can find that consistency. And a lot of it is just consistency. He just, it's just not there. And it's, it's kind of been the, his deal even since coming into the league. Like he's always been really streaky. I mean, was it, was it his rookie year or the second year where he had, where he like started or he was rough for like a lot of the year. He'd, and then he'd have a couple random big games here and there. And then out of the all-star break, he had that like five or six game stretch. And then, and then the season was shut down. Uh, and I was like, all right, like Kobe's, he looks awesome here. Like this is him breaking out coming into, and then going into ne- uh, year two that maybe he would take that next step. But of course, year two, he gets given the keys to the point guard spot and he just floundered totally. It looked, he looked like a total mess for much of the season. Started to pick it up again at the end of last season when he didn't really have to do that as much when the pressure was off. So again, this is situations where pressure is off. Kobe has shown maybe a bit more consistency. He needs to be able to do that when the pressure is on. The team is good right now. They're going to need him at least soon. If not right now, they're going to need him at some point or he's just not going to play. And I, we have both said that they could really use a guy like him, that his theoretical skill set, his strengths would work perfectly on this team because of, as that off-ball score, as you said, because they could really use that bench scoring. They could use that guy playing off DeMar when DeMar is playing with bench units. You can't load up on DeMar if Kobe White is ready, shooting 40% from on corner three is waiting for passes from DeMar. He's not doing that enough yet. So it just kind of is a tough spot. And that's why I was kind of tweeting about it because I was kind of settled himself into this nice role here where he's just kind of giving you this similar stuff every night. And he's just makes an impact. We just haven't gotten that from Kobe. Hopefully as he comes back, it is a tough situation. You mentioned that article. You'd have the shoulder surgery. You have COVID like he has been in a tough spot this season. So I, I do want to cut him some slack here, but at some point coming up as we get to the tail end of the season, he's has to be better. Otherwise they're going to, they, again, they have to move him or he's just not going to play. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said. He's always been a high-variance player. Was it a game, maybe this rookie year against the Knicks, where he hit like six threes in a quarter? Right, yeah. Like, he did, does like nothing all game, and then he hits like seven threes in a fourth quarter. It's just it can, it's just so like hit or miss in games, across games, the roller coaster ride with him. We just need to get to a somewhat more – I mean, I think he's going to be probably be streaky no matter what. There just needs to be at least some more level of consistency there because otherwise like – it might be just a situation where like you throw Kobe out there and if he looks awful, then you got to pull him right away. But the problem is that, that is like, then that you worry about that killing his confidence. Uh, if he's got like a really short leash. So that is just kind of a tough spot with how good the bulls are right now. Uh, like you just can't like give him that long of a leash. Uh, again, right now, early in the season, you kind of still can, you got a lot of time left in the season, but there, again, there will be a point where you can't give him that leash because if he's costing you possessions, costing you game, games with misses, bad decisions, you can't leave him out there. 
Yeah, I guess the way the thing that jumps out to me, first of all, is like when Kobe was drafted, what is he like six five? Like he's pretty tall. Yeah. But he just doesn't play very big. Or wingspan. Yeah. So like he's not long. He's one of the few guys in the league with like a wingspan, either as tall as he is, or maybe even a little bit shorter. And he doesn't play very big. Right. So when IO is in the game, IO just is such a significant size advantage on Kobe, even though their height is probably like somewhat similar. Uh, and yeah, like you said, you know what you're getting from IO on a night to night basis because of the defensive end. Like IO is going to bring defensive intensity and energy and versatility, uh, whereas Kobe can just get really hot. So just my two cents here. I trust IO more than Kobe personally in terms of big situations in the game. But I do think there's a spot for both of them, depending on how big the rotation is going to be. Yeah. One thing about the bulls is that they've been terrible against zone defense the yeah. whole year, right? Like if you look at the zone defense numbers, Mark and will, we're talking about this got to shout out them again. I think will said there's 29th in terms of, uh, you know, their zone defense scoring and they've been zoned, you know, as much as any team in the league, but Kobe's a guy who should be able to bust the zone. And that's not something you'd really count on IO to do. Yeah, definitely. Now, in the end of the day, like, you know, being a bench scorer is a role that probably a lot of guys could fill. So it'll be interesting to see, like, what happens to Kobe long-term, considering yeah. everyone else Garpacks drafted <laughs> in the boot. But I do think there's a role for Kobe. He's got to shoot well. And I think he is a really good shooter. The fact that he hasn't, like, what's he shooting right now? Like 25% from three? I think it's like 26, 27, okay. something like he's that. He's a better shooter than that. He's a, he's a much better shooter than that. We know that. Uh, that is part of coming back from the shoulder injury. So, I mean, maybe they'll make a move on him, but I do think that uh, a peak version of Kobe can still really help this team. It was nice to see him get it going a little bit in the last couple of games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, he like I I feel like his shot looks so nice, but he's still only like thirty five percent for his career. It would be really gr- be great to get that up to again. I, I mean, that's again like forty percent, but he needs to get to a point where he's just you can count on him to knock down those corner threes against that against that zone, especially. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he develops. I said I I feel like I am too hard on him sometimes uh, because again he can look really bad sometimes. And when there's a good team and you have a, and there's like a clear weak spot out there, and it's like it's just so. <laughs> Just so tempting to be like, oh man, this guy sucks. He's got to sit. Like they need to get other guys out there. Want to try to want to be fair to him. Uh, we, as we said, we both think there's room for him. So we will see. Uh, do you got anything else here? Well, mostly I'm wondering if the next game against the Hawks is going to get played, Jace, because the Hawks had three more guys enter protocol after they played the Bulls last night. The Bulls have all pretty much had COVID at this point, besides for I think Caruso. Yeah, it was Bradley so, got it now? I think I saw Ursan Eliasova went in. Uh, I think it is basically just Caruso. Maybe like it was Alfonso McKinney who they signed for the rest of the season. They signed him. They waived Alize Johnson, which we thought was a surprise. They kept Matt Thomas. Matt Thomas hit three three pointers against the Hawks yesterday, so good for him. Uh, at least providing a little bit with some shooting there. But Alfonso got it right after he signed his rest of end of season contract. Uh, Bradley went in, so I think it really is just Caruso, and then maybe one of the hardship guys. I don't even know. It's basically just Caruso as the main rotation guy without it at this point. Yeah. But yeah, the Hawks, the Hawks game, they have like 15 guys out. I think it's 13 in protocols. Two other guys are injured. DeAndre Hunter, Solomon Hill, but I think they're going to play. They have Trey young. They have Cam Reddish. They have Clint Capella. 
And then like they have like they signed Lance Stevenson. He played some. We saw another Illini legend, Malcolm Hill, play for the Hawks yesterday. So we hope we'll probably see him get minutes, especially with Bo- uh, Bogdanovich going into protocols today. Uh, so they'll probably I think they'll have eight or nine unless they have a few more guys test in tomorrow. So I I, I hope this was kind of a conversation before Bulls played the Hawks yesterday. because I, th- I know like Darnell tweeted Darnell Mayberry, the athletic tweeted like, is this game like moving towards cancellation? And it was like, this was right after the, the we saw the Raptors play with like literally all like G League guys almost and like end of bench guys. They had, I think, eight or nine against the Cavs. They lost by 50. And it's it's been a conversation across the league. Like, should they have, they they let these decimated rosters play with G League? Like it's, you could say, you could argue that it's ruining the integrity of the game, making these teams play with this. But like the rules right now is like, do you have eight guys available? You, you're going to play these games. Like the Bulls had games postponed because they did not have eight guys available. That's what happened with the Raptors game and the Bulls. And at this point, like if you're keep postponing games, you're just screwing the Bulls over on the back end because they have three games to make up the second half of the season. You, you keep, if you, they get another one postponed here, like that's, that'd be four. If having to fit those in coming down the stretch while they're trying to fight for the playoffs, like that would suck. So like at this point, you had, if the league's going to just keep going with the season, like, if they have eight, they got to play. And obviously with the Hawks, they if they have Trey Young, they have Reddish, Capella, that is three of their better players. So it's not like a complete trash bag like the, the Raptors had, some of the other rosters we've seen. So like, as of right now, I'm assuming they do play. Uh, it does suck. The whole situation is just brutal with all the players going into protocols. They obviously changed the protocols to allow guys to come back earlier if they're like asymptomatic and all that stuff. So uh, it seems like we're just rolling through this. And like, I would prefer not to have any more postponements if possible. Like if this is what they're going to do. So, uh, hopefully they play run. You're going tomorrow. So I guess for your sake, I hope, <laughs> I hope that they do play. Uh, yeah, so you can I'm go. Going, I hope game. I don't go into health and safety program. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Myself going to the game, but yeah, I think that, you know, the bulls played a couple of games with a diminished roster against Cleveland against yeah. Miami. They took they their took blows. Two losses that they may not have taken had they been healthy, though both of those teams are really good. So yeah. maybe those would have been losses anyway. I think the Cavs now are like totally legit too. So uh hopefully the game gets played, I guess. Like I wrote something saying the league should take a break. The league's <laughs> not taking a break. So this is just what we're gonna do. Seems like everyone's gonna get sick. Uh so that's kind of is what it is. <laughs> That is what it is. And everyone, please stay healthy. If you have immunocompromised people in your life, make sure you prioritize their safety and their health. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if that game gets played. I think it will though. And, uh, I'll let you know next episode what it's like in that, in that building. Nice. Uh, and I guess I'll shout out one more thing. I did write something today at bloggable. We were talking, talking about tomorrow. Uh, just something I've noticed on the broadcast lately. Love my guy, Bill, Bill Wennington. Great, lo- great Bulls dynasty legend. Uh, he's been an announcer for a long time and he's been filling in uh, on the TV broadcast with Stacey King, who kind of really went through it. I mean, talking about COVID sounds like Stacey had a real tough, brutal uh, bout with COVID. He's going to be coming back. I think, I think he's going to be on the call tomorrow. I think he's back tomorrow, but Wennington been filling in and it seems like Bill every, t- every game, was would bring up the analytics thing. I can't remember if Stacy would do it too, but he would always talk about analytics with DeRozan and just the same goofy analytics conversation. So I had to write something today bloggable. Please go check it out about DeMar DeRozan, the analytics conversation about how analytics say that DeMar DeRozan shooting a ton of mid-range shots is actually fucking dope because he makes them at an incredible rate. Like the dude is shooting like 50% on mid-range shots this season. 
a guy shooting 50% from mid range is great. Uh, that's better than league, way better than league average. When you look at teams, half court offense, uh, is like average is like 93 points per hundred possessions. Bulls are like 97. DeMar is score is shooting, is scoring like a point per shot on mid range shots. And that's not even counting free throws. So analytics does not just mean Chuck threes and all that kind of stuff. Like you look into the numbers, there's nuance there. Obviously teams do shoot a lot of threes because of analytics these days. Uh, Sometimes people do take the the analytics convo too far for sure. But in the bulls case, DeMar DeRozan analytics say DeMar DeRozan shooting mid range is good guys. who can get buckets hit. Zach is the same way with Zach and DeMar. Like those guys shooting mid range shots is good because they make them Kevin Durant, same way. Durant's shooting like 55% from mid-range. And like LaMarcus Aldridge shoot. Like those kind of guys can shoot mid-range shots because it's good. And analytics say that. It's just other guys who chuck mid-range shots and shoot like 35%. That's bad. Analytics say that too. So there is that's obviously a whole like another conversation you can have. It's just like it's something I've noticed on the Bulls broadcast that our guy Bill Wennington's been saying a lot and just been kind of <laughs> kind of annoying me. Uh, and I had to write about it today at Bloggable. So go check that out. See some cool DeMar DeRozan stats as well. And uh, DeMar DeRozan, bottom line is also DeMar DeRozan is awesome. We've said that a lot on this pod. And uh, yeah, so I guess looking ahead again, we got the Hawks coming up here on Wednesday. Hopefully this game is played. And the Bulls have a little, a tough little New Year's double header. We got the, uh, we got the at Indiana on Friday and New Year's Eve. And then they got to turn right around and play on New Year's day against uh in washington against the wizards both teams the pacers don't have a good record but i believe they have a positive point differential and they're just a tough matchup matchup for the bulls uh with their big guys with turner and sabonis we we just saw the bulls beat them they were very depleted as well they didn't have malcolm brogdon and some other guys uh hopefully the bulls will have their guys back or maybe lonzo back by then i'm not sure but that's a tough matchup on the road for a new year's eve game and then to go new year's day and play the wizards who have been very good this season uh, they haven't been as good lately. That's still a tough little doubleheader there for, for a New Year's thing. So I'm just going to see. We'll probably, we probably will not pod until next week again. We're going to start ramping up these pods the second half of the year once we hit the new year. But with all the holidays going on, we've been sticking it to one. But so, yeah, this will be an interesting next set of three games here for the Bulls. Uh, I, like, obviously, it'd be great to win them all. I'd be fine if they go two and one here. These are some decent teams, some tough teams here. Uh, and, and honestly, any win right now with all these depleted rosters and all that, I will take, uh, I think I saw Matt Moore tweet, like how any win right now is there's no bad wins. There's uh, obviously going to be some good wins, but there's really no bad wins right now. So just go out, hopefully get me two wins. Get me, if they get three, that'd be awesome. And, uh, yeah, you got anything else here? Not much, man. Good, good couple games for the bulls. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can build on it as, uh, these games do get played. Yeah, absolutely. I do actually would want to say just one final thing here. Uh, really sad news in the Chicago media and I just uh, atmosphere here. Uh, it was announced today that longtime ESPN Bears reporter Jeff Dickerson uh, unfortunately passed away from moves colon cancer today. As a guy who has listened to sports radio, ESPN, the score for like basically my entire life, uh, I g- grew up listening to JD on the radio following his bears coverage. So just a really just sad story because uh, he has an 11 year old son or he had an 11 year old son and his wife had just recently passed away a couple of years. So just uh, really just tough stuff for that family. So obviously just thoughts and prayers out to out to, I think it's Parker, Parker Dickinson. He's 11 years old, lost both his parents to cancer. So many good tributes coming in right now on Twitter from all these, uh, all these people at ESPN, all these other Chicago sports media people, 
just a really sad story. Uh, JD was awesome. He was always great to listen to and his bears coverage was great. So I was, uh, just heartbreaking news today for on that front, man, my stomach dropped seeing that. I didn't know he was sick, but I did see some, I think Kaplan's tweeted out a couple days ago yeah. to pray for him. And I really was hoping it wasn't the worst case scenario. And obviously it is. So Man, so, so, so sad. I was around him when I used to cover the Bears tra- Bears training camp during my earliest years at SB Nation Chicago. I would go there. I was young. I was probably like 23, 24, and I was mostly just like running around trying to cause trouble and like write a Bears notebook. And he was always super kind to me, and I always respected him a lot as a journalist and as a radio guy. And that's, this is just so heartbreaking. I remember when his wife died of cancer – not all that long ago. That was so sad. And yeah, I just can't imagine what his son is going through. So thoughts are with him and the family. That is just unbelievably sad news. Yeah. RIP JD. Uh, And on that note, we'll wrap up here. Uh, As always, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. Uh, If you like what we're doing here at Cash Considerations, please go check out all the other great pods all across the network as well. Tons of great stuff going on uh, as we head into 2022 here. Blue uh, Blue Wire is shooting to the moon, grow, keeping growing. We're and uh, we're excited here to go into 2022 with a, a much better bull scene to talk about. As I said, as we go into the new year, second half of the season, we're going to try to ramp up some of these podcasts again. I think we might try to bring the green rooms back after for some big games uh, and start doing some of those live pods again. So that should be a lot of fun. So uh, for us here at Cash, as always, please rate and review us. Give us those five star ratings. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all those good places. Uh, and yeah, happy new year to all you Bulls fans out there. Uh, have obviously do what you can, be safe with all the stuff still happening. Hopefully, 2022 will be better than the last couple of years. Obviously, on the Bulls front, it is shaping up to be a really fun season, really fun spring. Hopefully, deep, hopefully, go into the summer. Hopefully, move past all this COVID stuff. Uh, and, put that in the rear view mirror and uh, hopefully 2022 will be good so ricky happy new year to you happy new year to all our listeners happy new year as well to fuzz gun the guy who does our uh does our intro check out a soundcloud so well again we'll probably be back next week uh, after the new year so we will talk to you guys next time take it easy Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.